to the Security Squawk Podcast, where we discuss the business of cybersecurity. Here are your co-hosts and cybersecurity experts, Brian Horning, Reginald Andre, and Randy Bryan. What's up, guys? Welcome back. Welcome back to your little boxes. Hey, if something else, the fake audience always puts a little smile on our faces, right? Why do you say they're fake? You know they're sitting in your living room. <laughs> yeah, they're on the other side of my office. So you guys made it back from Nash, Vegas. You're live in one piece. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah that was a lot of fun. Love to uh, kind of just before we go into our, our main topic for today's show, um, hear both of your perspectives and, and takeaways that could benefit our audience from uh, what, you, what you heard or what you saw last week um, while you were in Nashville. I did watch when I could um, over Zoom, so I did see some of the content myself. So... Uh, but I'd like to hear from you guys because it's, it's, uh, you can't replicate being there, right? You know, so, um, you get to talk to people and your takeaways may not necessarily be somebody who was on stage, but, you know, some conversation you had in a, in a back hallway or at dinner or something like that. So we'll jump into that before we do, guys. Remember, we, uh, we don't charge any kind of monetary fee to get this content or we, nor do we bore you with ads and things like that. So please just remember to share our show. Uh, and if you could rate us on your favorite podcasting platform, if you so choose to listen to us over a podcast. Otherwise, hit us up on social media with a, with a share and a, and a like, and uh, we'd appreciate it. So, guys, uh, <clears throat> the whole purpose of your trip last week, I guess, was to go uh, – it's a mastermind group that the three of us are members of uh, and you guys go there on a quarterly basis to kind of, you know, sharpen the sword on the business. And that can mean a lot of different things. It can mean, you know, working on sales and marketing. It could be working on operations uh, or just getting educated on, on new things that are happening in our industry around uh, cybersecurity and stuff like that. So, um, with that being kind of setting the stage for our audience of, of what it is that you guys were at, what were your, what were your big takeaways or what was something that, um, you can share with the audience that you think might benefit them that they should know? Um, cause I know there was a couple, uh, FBI guys there, one guy retired, one guy's current. Um, you know, I don't know if any of those guys brought anything to light to you, but would love to hear from you guys about it. So uh, I'll, I'll sum it up in two words. We're screwed. <laughs> um, if don't think that if uh, your company gets a, uh, a ransomware attack or some type of business compromise, the FBI or the government is going to come and save you. They have a much bigger fish to fry and they have made it a very clear point that unless you are, um, you got the numbers, Randy? If, if for yes. National uh, it was uh, if there's a million dollar or more ransom in Nashville, they'll talk to you. Um, if it's a hundred million in New York, they'll talk to you. So if you're, you're mom and pop small business and you got a hundred thousand dollar ransom, I mean, unless you reach out to like the Paducah, Kansas office, which I don't even think exists, um, you're 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 screwed. Like you said, you know what I mean. Um, I I would highly suggest. I know we have some other uh, professionals that watch us, but if you're a business owner or a professional, um, reach out to your local your local FBI office now and build some relationships. You know, we make a joke. No one has a Rolodex anymore, but literally somebody said it from the stage. Have that person in your Rolodex. You know, reach out to somebody that's like a local um, from the FBI. See if you can take them to lunch or go have coffee with them or hop on a Zoom call or something um, just to build that relationship. But yeah, that's a... I forgot about that, man. That is a big takeaway because basically you're on your own if you're under a million dollars or if you're in New York, you're on your own if you're under a hundred million. Yeah. And um, another thing that they mentioned is the importance of 
actually reporting the crime. So even if you don't meet their thresholds, a lot of times they can use what happened to you to build up their case in another, um, maybe in another company that met that threshold, and then they can add you to that as well. So a lot of times we think, oh, should we even submit it? Because all we're going to just do is get an automated response. But they actually use this for their data intelligence and for for uh, future um, prosecution. Yeah, yeah. I talked I talk to a guy at the place who had um, he he wasn't big enough to reach the threshold, but he had the same attack, and he had he had a guest uh, filled out a report. But they reached out to him for some more information, just so they could co collate it with the other information that they had. Yeah. So we've been involved with uh, a couple. Uh, incidents with the FBI being involved. There's a couple of things that I noticed, and I agree with all the things that you guys said. Um, number one, there has to be monetary damage already that happened because when we try to get help when something hasn't happened, we're trying to give a heads up that, hey, we, we're seeing this over here. That gets way less attention than an active criminal event, if, if that's what you want to call it. Um, the other thing I see, too, is they're more apt to help uh, companies or individuals where national security is at stake versus just monetary. Um, you know, when they're seeing something where uh, data or something can be used uh, and it could be a national security issue or, or a threat, um, they'll swoop in and take action before an event happens in those cases. But if we're just talking about a private business that's losing money, um, you're going to have to lose the money first before they get involved, unfortunately, or be very close. So good one, Andre. Uh, nice, quick and easy. Uh, so Randy, what, what did you, uh, what did you take away from that event? Oh, I was, I was, I was going to litter. Uh, sorry. I was going to mention the FBI agent as well. Um, okay. That was a, a pretty fast. Who was the FBI agent? Just can we? Are you allowed to um, say? He would. Uh, yeah, he was. So, so we had the retired, famous FBI agent, Chris, Chris Voss. Voss, right? Was, dude, he was awesome. Yeah, was right. This guy, really funny. Um, a lot of stuff. The the other one was just like I think he's like the head of the Nashville office or something. I don't know. Like, yeah, you know, but it was fascinating just to hear hear basically everything we talk about but but using a lot of different some different language some different stats coming at it from a, like a different perspective yeah from um, a law enforcement perspective yes that was fascinating <laughs> to me like i couldn't right. i couldn't hear enough of it because just right. just how cool it was um and that that really i mean that was that was probably the most impactful uh one for uh, me um, it was, it also was helpful from a standpoint of, um, a lot, lots of, lots of affirmation because a lot of things like, like I'm thinking, Hey, I need to be doing this, 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 and that. And to hear an FBI agent say, yeah, when we go in, we do this, 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 and that. So, so a lot of good affirmation there, um, on, you know, techniques and things like that. So, but yeah, that was my big, uh, my big takeaway. Nice. Um, I think Andre had something to add. Yeah, yeah, I had it real quick. Um, another thing that he mentioned is if they are doing an investigation, one of the reasons why it takes so long is because, you know, we have the portrayal of the movies and in 45 minutes and three commercials, they can go ahead and, you know, put some wiretaps and hack into someone's system. But he talked about how long these investigations take. And then now when they, they get all the, the information they need, they have to give it to the district attorney. And then district attorney then decides if based on their resources, if, if it's worth for them to do and if they have, you know, how strong of a case. So it's not just like, you know, his decision to go after it, um, but it's also somebody else that has the greater power of B. And then um, there was actually, um, yeah, that's it. There was one more, but I just drew a blank on it. That's okay. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. So, I mean, it's always good to step away from the business and get this kind of uh, insight on, on what's going on out there. At least, you know, connect with the people who, you know, are fighting this fight in, in all different places. Um, so 
Um, but yeah, I, I love, yeah, I love Andre's takeaway hundred percent. I mean, that was, uh, that was probably, I think for the three of us, the, the, the biggest things that, that people need to understand is that, um, you know, not only is the government and the FBI not going to come to your rescue, a lot of times if you're not working with companies like the three of ours, your cyber insurance isn't going to come and, and rescue you either. Um, and we're going to talk about that in this in in this uh, podcast today. Um, we came across, in our research in one of our previous podcasts, we came across an article that we feel like encapsulizes a lot of what we we talk about on this show. Um, so if you listen to us a lot, this is going to sound very redundant, but I think we're going to try to condense a lot of what we talked about over the last year or so into one episode today. And that's really a discussion around why do businesses and organizations fail to prevent cyber attacks? Um, I think what we do typically on this show is we normally try to go about it in a way where we look at an article and what they're saying in an article and what they're saying around a specific cyber event. And we try to kind of tell you why this is happening or, or what we're seeing or what our opinion is on, on that specific event. Um, <clears throat> but again, this, uh, this particular article goes into a couple of different things that I think we talk about here and there. And we don't talk about in, in one kind of, uh, you know, episode. Uh, so I think this will be a good time for us to kind of look at things in terms of here's the reasons why companies are getting attacked. And then we can bring in uh, past and, and current uh, ransomware attacks because, man, our, our, there's a ton of them out there. Um, and we could definitely spend all show talking about ransomware attacks uh, that are happening right now. But, you know, we do want to kind of switch things up and, and keep a little bit of variety in the show in the, in the, how we do things and, and how we talk about kind of like we did last week when the two of them were together and we talked about one very specific topic, which was, you know, making sure you stay safe while you travel. So go check that episode out if you missed it. So guys, number one thing, I guess I'm going to kind of read this article at a high level real quick um, in the beginning. Cause I think it, it starts to paint the picture of, of what gets talked about here. Um, but the article starts off by saying cyber attacks are an ever increasing threat to businesses and organizations worldwide. But despite increased awareness and investment in cybersecurity, many businesses and organizations fail to prevent these attacks. And they're gonna take a closer look at some of the reasons why they fail along with some top tips on how to embed a solid cybersecurity structure. Uh, so the very first thing they state is that organizations and businesses underestimated the threat. Um, and it says that one key problem when it comes to cybersecurity is not truly knowing how serious or damaging the threat can be. And while many organizations recognize the need to protect themselves from cyber attacks, they may underestimate the risk or believe they will not be a target for an attack. This can lead to organizations misjudging the cost of a successful attack and overlooking the need to invest in security. So an example of this uh, uh, is an organization that un underestimated the threat is the Danish transport company Maersk. Uh, and in June of 2017, they were exposed to an extensive cyber attack, which largely paralyzed their company's IT systems and caused the company to lose millions in revenue. And post-attack, the company's CEO stated that Maersk had never imagined that they would be the target of such an attack and that the company had underestimated the risk. Uh, so a couple of things here. Number one, in 2017, those comments don't surprise me. If they were kind of said today, I'd be a little concerned. Um, I'm not giving them a pass because in 2017, you know, we were... We, you know, this was a known thing. I just think that back then, not many companies took it very seriously. Why I think maybe, you know, maybe we're about 25% of the companies get it. The other 75 are still in this kind of bucket where Maersk was in 2017. That's kind of my view of the world right now. Um, so thoughts on this, guys, or, or other examples that come to mind 
where a company just didn't think that they would get attacked. I mean, so thoughts on this. It's kind of like, you know, back in like the 60s, my granddad used to smoke. Like everybody smoked back then, smoked cigarettes. And they, they were aware that there were dangers, but no one really knew how deep those dangers went. And it took a concerted effort, you know, from all kinds of organizations publishing information. And then ultimately it took the government getting involved um, to really make people aware. And I, and I see this all the time when I'm talking to businesses, you know, if they haven't been hacked yet, they have no idea just how deep it'll go. We hear, we hear business say, well, we'll just delete everything, you know, and start with new systems. Well, that doesn't change the fact that you're required by law to report breaches in most states, you know, or, the, or they say, well, we'll just close down that company and start a new one. Literally had a company tell us that. And then when they started a new one, they were so shocked that the ransomware showed up on all their new stuff. Well, because they never figured out what caused it. And I could go on and on about it, but basically they don't, they're not aware of how the reputations get affected. They're not aware of the money that it costs. You know, it's on and on. I'm sure Andre has some stuff to add to that. So I don't want to steal your thunder, man. No, it's cool. I mean, it goes back to that line that we always, you know, hear from our clients. I'm too small to get hacked. Nobody, why would someone, I'm a small little manufacturing company or, you know, little shop, little mom and pop, you know, what are are they going to get from me? And, um, and that's what we hear all the time when we're uh, prospecting with clients and they're calling us and we're telling them their prices, our prices compared to what, you know, other IT providers may be uh, providing. It's um, always that, that the customers just think that I'm too small and hackers are not going to come after me. Yeah. And I'm, I, that reminded me of the, the guy, uh, is it Krebs? 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 Who used mm-hmm. to be the, the head of the C, of CISA. He was at our, like one of our last, like two quarterly events ago. And he said, basically, there's two kinds of businesses. Those that know they're hacked and those that don't know it yet. Like his he raised and even and he's also what is he and he like an FF, ex-FBI guy, but he also raised like just a dire situation, you know. And so anyway, you're not too small. You're never too small to uh, get hacked. And if you have any way of making money, um, then then you're going to be a target for, for criminals. Yeah, 100 percent. So uh, the other piece of this is, you know, Maersk, the, the, the company I referenced, they're a fairly large company, uh, to say the least. World. Yeah. And, you know, I don't want any small business owner who may be watching this to kind of think, well, I'm not the size of Maersk. That doesn't apply to me because in Verizon's uh, 2022 breach report, uh, the number one action for very small businesses in their research is ransomware. Most very small businesses, the number one problem that they deal with is ransomware. Second most common is use of stolen credentials. That usually means business email compromise. Um, and then social attacks such as phishing uh, and other types of phishing attacks are the third, third most common. Uh, so small organizations, uh, you know, just because you're super small doesn't preclude you from, you know, any kind of cyber attack. Um, it may not end up being ransomware a lot of times. And that's why you see these other two categories that are that are listed. So don't underestimate any any of this, because like we talk about on the show all the time, you're just an address to these people. They'll figure out what you are once they get in there and what they want to do with you once they have access but them getting access they don't know if you prior to getting access they don't know if you're a fortune 500 company or you're a small mom and pop you know florist you know that that has three employees you know that's they'll figure that out once they're in and at that point it's too late right guys so the second thing pointed out in this article is inadequate investment in security. And I think that's this is one of those things that we discuss all the time on this show is businesses just really don't understand what they need to be spending revenue wise on something that, quite frankly, they uh, really haven't had to spend too much money on. Um, they are. You know, I look at cybersecurity as kind of like 
part two of IT. Um, and, you know, IT, just talking about buying computers and networking equipment and uh, doing all those things the right way. Um, there was a serious lack of investment, in my opinion, on what businesses really needed to spend there across the board. Uh, and now you're piling cybersecurity on top of that. So you, not only do you already have a gap with your IT spend, but now you're saying, okay, now you have to spend more money on this new thing over here called cybersecurity or all this investment you made in IT is all for naught because it's going to be destroyed if some criminal hacker can get their hands uh, on your system. So uh, let's talk about this a little bit. Um, and I don't know if you guys heard any of this when you were in Nashville last week, but um, what are you guys looking at in terms of inadequate investment in security? I know that on this show, we kind of talk about all the time that three to 6% of top line revenue as kind of like, the barometer of where you should be, you know, that might need to be a little bit higher or it could be a little bit lower based on your business and, you know, your level of risk and whether you have compliance that's driving that. Uh, so just level set that right there. What are your guys thoughts on, you know, inadequate investment in security uh, with businesses across the board? Um, you think that this is a problem that is going to be solved anytime soon or where, where are your thoughts on this? I mean, you want to go first, Andre? That's fine. It, it all goes back to when they get compromised, that's when the budget will appear. Um, <laughs> you say that all the time. I, yeah. <laughs> so. Show me the money after, after the fact. That's when all of a sudden the wallet opens. Okay, we need to make sure this never happens again. Um, what is kind of what you mentioned, Brian, a lot of our, um, a lot of, customers and a lot of people out there just say, give me what is needed to keep the lights on. Okay. Just basic antivirus, a little router, firewall, that's it. But even as we're going to these um, shows every quarter and, and we're meeting with vendors and like realizing like, wow, we didn't know we needed this product. We never thought of this. Like we need our administrator passwords to change every 30 days because this is what the hackers are doing. So it's, it's, for us, we're, you know, it's kind of candy shopping because it's bells and whistles and shiny objects. But at the same time, um, a lot of times we'll see these uh, companies with either IT director or in-house um, IT guy or just not having the knowledge. They just think that what they learned in school 20 years ago is just still good and, and they know it all. And, and the industry is changing, especially on the cybersecurity side. You know, it, it, it's changing so much. And, you know, we usually tell people one to three percent of gross rev ought to be spent specifically on cybersecurity. So that's on top of your regular IT. That's probably where they get the three to six percent total. But regardless, one to six percent, even the one percent. When when I'm talking with a small business owner and we start to discuss that, um, I can't speak for all the businesses out there. But I just constantly, I mean, it's like I can almost count on it that I'm going to hear pushback from the small business owner. Like, there's no way that that I should spend that. And you're right, um, Andre, they, they do ask, hey, what do I just got to have to keep the lights on? But really, we got to turn it back to them. And we need to think as a, as a small business owner. What do I got to do to keep the doors open? Because that matters more than anything. Like the lights could go out for a little bit. That's not a big deal. But when the doors close and the doors have to close when you're in the middle of a breach, you're probably not going to be receiving money. You're not going to be able to do payroll. Um, if you do payroll, do you have money set aside to do payroll in an unaffected bank account that's not hacked? I mean, it affects a lot and the doors can literally be closed. It's, it's in the high 80s, I believe. Of, or, or might be high 70s of all businesses that have a ransomware are out of business within like, what is it, like six months? Um, I know it's double digit and I know it's a huge, it's a huge number, but, um, but yeah. So I run against it all the time, Brian, to answer your question. I push, yeah. push from that. So I'm going to dive, I want to dive into this a, a little bit more um, because this, this is one of those conversations that we talk about in our mastermind group where, things have changed, right? And it's not just the investment that you're required to spend in, on something that you 
didn't even exist five, seven years ago. Um, but there, there is an absolute uh, hesitancy or, or just these companies are hesitating to invest for two reasons, in my opinion. Cost being number one, and number two being uh, guys like us are telling them, like, hey, yeah, you have to invest in this, but it's not a silver bullet. And we say that on the show all the time. Like, this is a layered approach. It's always going to be best effort. There's nothing out there that's going to completely secure you because you have employees, because you have users, all the things we say on the show. And that scares the crap out of a lot of you know, business leaders and owners who are making these decisions because it's like, you're asking me to spend a significant amount of money on something that's not even a guarantee. Um, and the other thing that's changed is it's changed from a provider standpoint, right? And I think this is a part that we need to talk about too. Providers are now no longer, because I think before we started doing this, guys, I think the prevalent situation a lot of IT companies found themselves in was that the company, their client thought that they were being taken care of, right? That was the thought process here. Um, now, you know, because of all these events, because of lawyers, because of all the things that we talk about on the show that happen as we learn things from every single event that happens, you now have most IT companies, if they're worth anything and they know their business, they're putting out documents and they're making people sign things that say you're declining a recommendation that we're making, right? So if you don't want to invest in this and you don't want to invest in that, well, I'm not going to be left holding the bag when something happens. You're going to sign this thing that says you're declining our recommendation and you're going to not hold us liable should something bad happen. Uh, and that's leading to these organizations just accepting greater risk because now you're faced with a or option A or option B. I buy the service and I spend the money and I reduce my risk or I say no, I save the money and then I accept all the risk into my business if something bad were to happen. That's kind of where we're at today, right? That, 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 did, I, did, I, did I do a good job of like kind of laying that out? Yeah. So, I mean, that's where we are right now. Um, and before it used to be shared risk, right? Before companies like ours started to kind of figure this out and figure out like, wow, if you don't have certain uh, agreements in place and those agreements don't say certain things, you're accepting a lot of liability when your customer's don't make good decisions. Um, and that's changing. And that's falling all back onto the businesses uh, these days if, if you know the IT company that they're working with is doing things the right way. There's still IT companies out there that are doing things the old way and they're not making you sign these things. And you know, just because uh, am, uh, ambiguous contracts, they are the ones who are also in bed with you or they also eat the risk sandwich with, with you. Uh, but that's becoming harder and harder to find. Uh, agree? Yeah. And, <laughs> so. and, you know, we all um, here on the show, we belong to, you know, just like how your organization could have an accounting group or, you know, right. trade group. So we belong to what is called a managed service um, providers group on Facebook. There's about 20,000 people in that group all over the U.S. and, and uh, you know, Canada, Australia. And I would guess only about 10% of them out of this 20,000 get it where they're doing cybersecurity. So a lot of times you'll even have going back to the cost when they're like, hey, how much are you charging a client or how much would you charge a client for this? And then when, you know, one of the people that get it gives a response as far as what the price, you know, what we would charge for our price to just help out our fellow peer members. They're like, oh my gosh, you're ripping off the customer. Why do they need all of this? So we're battling against our, 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 I don't want to call them competitors, but in the, the scheme of things, our competitors, that they don't even get it. They think they're still in that old mindset that, you know, this stuff can just be done with open source or, you know, freeware or just, you know, the basics. Yep. And uh, a good example of this is, is when Target, they suffered their data breach 
about 10 years ago now, which is, it's still, you know, one of the more talked about breaches that's happened because, you know, they had a contractor who had access to their system and hackers were able to use that person's, uh, they were, they were victimized or they were, they were exploited. They were able to use the access that they had on that person's computer to then infiltrate um, their point of sale systems, which were not adequately secured, uh, which then caused a huge problem for Target to the tune of $200 million, which in today's money would have been a hell of a lot more. Um, so a big, big lesson learned there for a big company to, you know, make sure that they adequately, adequately invest in things like, uh, in this case, what they failed to do is they failed to invest in, a, in an intrusion detection system. Um, and that could have alerted the company to the suspicious activity that was going on. And they didn't do that. So um, most businesses today and in Target in 2013, I think that they should have at that time had an IDS system in place. Um, most small businesses can get an IDS system now. Back then, that, that really wasn't the case. Um, but in 10 years, the technology has improved and evolved and the cost has come down to the point where most businesses can have some sort of IDS system in place that somebody is monitoring for, uh, you know, suspicious activity on your network. We talk about this all the time, guys. Um, we saw, I remember talking about Western Digital like two or three weeks ago, right? Saying like, wow, they were able to move that much data off their network, terabytes of data, and nobody noticed. Um, that's, and I said it on the show, that's evidence that they didn't have an IDS system in place. So, so uh, the other thing that this talks about is the ever-changing threat picture. Uh, and then uh, the inability for organizations to adapt to the constantly changing threat landscape is also a factor. Uh, cyber criminals are constantly developing new techniques and tactics to circumvent security systems and organizations that cannot adapt to these changes will be vulnerable to attack. Uh, yeah, we, talk, we talked about this, I think, a few weeks ago as well, when we talked about all these botnets that are now basically able to like go around and quickly determine if you have vulnerabilities uh, in your network that they can exploit and then exploit them. Um, simply being security conscious is no longer enough, nor is having a prevention only strategy. Organizations must arm themselves to survive attacks, maintain operations, and embrace new technology in the face of evolving threats. This means establishing policies and processes that strike a balance between protecting critical assets, detecting compromises, and responding to incidents. Thoughts there, guys? Uh, yeah. We talk about a lot of this all the time. Um, what, are you, what are your thoughts, Randy? So... Um... I was thinking of something else the FBI agent said, and this, okay. this is so this is so true and so applicable to uh, today in 2023 and uh, almost almost June is he said chat GPT is going to be a game changer for um, for phishing emails and for other emails that are meant to be malicious where he said, like, right now you get an email and if you're in America and it's and it says something like, you know, kindly, please, blah, blah, blah. Like you instantly a flag goes up because no one in America says that we just ask for it, um, you know, and, and you see other certain words now, if they come in on an email, it throws up all kinds of red flags. But with ChatGPT, you can say, write this email in the tone of somebody who lives in, you know, San Marcos, Texas. And then ChatGPT will spit it out and it won't have kindly in it. So so when we're talking about the changing threat landscape, that's going to be a huge one because emails are going to be almost undetectable, uh, malicious from from a legit email. So what can what should business owners do so they can stay up to date on this threat landscape? They need to have competent companies like us <laughs> be able to um, help them. No longer is the day of your IT guy or your cousin who comes in whenever there's a problem, just comes and fix it on the weekends or something. Now it's um, you, you need to mature your, your technology and you need to have a, a real budget. 
Yeah, I'm thinking of that show, IT Crowd. Um, I know you. I don't know if y'all have watched it. Y'all really should watch it. And so, an IT Crowd, they hire an IT director for an office, and she just went in to apply just for grins to see what happened. She knew nothing about IT, and they're like, "What do you know about IT?" And she's like, "Well, I'm really good at Facebook." And the guy goes, "Oh," and he leans over and he's like, "Interesting. Tell me more." And then she goes on and she's like. I'm really good at updating my phone. And he's like, wow, you're blowing me away. What other qualities do you have? And she names like three things and they hired, they hired her. So anyway, I was thinking of that when you said your, uh, you know, your, your nephew, that's good at it. We've got to be careful these days. We can't just hire somebody that's good on Facebook and, you know, knows how to solve a problem on a, on a computer. It's way more than that these days. Yeah. And I think one thing that I'll point out, and I know you guys don't like to talk about yourselves on the show, but, all three of our companies can offer companies a threat intelligence service, right? So uh, big or small, if you're smaller, you're, you know, our company, you're only going to get that through one of our managed or managed security service plans. If you're a larger company, we offer, you know, threat intelligence services direct to those larger companies. So threat intelligence services are simply just somebody who's keeping you up to date, sending you, you know, we can deliver it through email. We can deliver it through a portal. We can deliver it through um, quarterly uh, phone calls with board members and executives. It really depends on what you need. Um, but these are the types of things that people, I think, don't realize they need, right? And there's companies out there that can provide services around this. So you are not in the dark about what's going on out there because a lot of these regulations are changing. The laws are being put on the books. Cyber insurance is requiring people have threat intelligence information sent to them. And if they're not getting it, these things become in jeopardy. Cyber insurance claims become in jeopardy. Even getting cyber insurance becomes in jeopardy. And if you go for government contracts or anything like that, all of these things are going to you know, become an issue for you to maintain if you don't start doing things like getting threat intelligence reports uh, into your company. So along with that, right into it, information sharing is the next thing they talk about in here, guys. And it's cooperation and sharing of information can help reduce the risk of cyber attacks. This is known, and I think the three of us would agree on this. But many organizations hesitate to share information about security risks, which can limit opportunities for collaboration and interaction between organizations and prevent a holistic approach to cybersecurity. So let's talk about this a little bit because I bring this up in the context of all the time of we're not finding out as much information anymore around cyber attacks like we used to. Um, and I pointed out that I said that that's a bad thing unless, you know, in the immediate time frame of the event while it's underway, if information isn't shared, I'm okay with that. But once we go into a lessons learned period and the event's over and done with, um, I think that that's when information it's necessary to be shared. And I don't like it when I see companies just not say anything at all. Guys on, on board with that, or do you see anything a different way? I mean, nobody wants their dirty laundry out there. And that's, that's, that's how um, these organizations are looking at it. I know, I know someone right now dealing with a, a business email compromise and there has been strategy sessions with attorneys with the incident response of, okay, we know these hundred emails got compromised. The threat actor was able to read these emails. They were able to download it. Should we tell them? Should we not tell them? How should we, should we just generalize it? Do we, you know, so um, there's all of this strategy that's going on right now because nobody wants the aid of liability and, and that dirty laundry out there. So um, and, and that was a that was a call that um, I, I got today on that as far as what, what's happening. So. Yeah. And then you have and then you have uh, inadequate in training, training of employees. And this is this is a big one, because as, as uh, Randy mentioned in the green room that the FBI agent in Nashville told them that 95 percent of all of these attacks are born through email some way, shape or form. Um, it doesn't mean ransomware. It also means business email compromise. These things are all happening 95% uh, of the time because somebody clicks on or 
clicks on something or goes to a web page or clicks on an email that sends them somewhere where they give up their username and password and two-factor code and where they click on something that installs malware. Um, and it's simply because employees aren't being trained properly. So, um, so employees uh, need to be able to recognize these threats, but they often lack the necessary knowledge and skills to identify and report suspicious activity. Uh, Stanford shows as many as nine out of 10 data breaches are the result of human error, such as employees falling for phishing scams or weak password. Nevertheless, there are many businesses that do not provide their employees with regular security training. So let's talk about that. Regular security training is subjective. <laughs> regular could mean once a year or it could mean once a week. Where do you guys fall with this? In our company um, and for our clients, we do once a week phishing and, and the emails are different for every everybody. It, it's rotated. And then we also do um, for our clients every six months, we do department cybersecurity training uh, in person. So not even, we try best not to do Zoom because, of course, everybody's got two screens and they're doing this and then they're just check marking it. So we're, we're making it interactive where we're doing prizes if they answer questions and and you know, um, really just educating them to uh, so that this doesn't happen. And I can even tell you the story that I was just talking about with a friend of mine, where they're going through a business compromise. They did a training about two weeks ago. Two weeks prior to that, they did a training, and the uh, the 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 user still clicked on a, a, a email and and just made this you know whole situation they're in now. Even if you beat it upside their head, yeah, ninety-five percent. You know, it's it's why the the so the cybersecurity training is is crucial. Um, like they said, nine out of ten of these attacks um, start by human error. Um, could have been prevented had the human not clicked on them. But it's also it it's not your silver bullet. So you can't just say, oh, I'm going to yeah. have cyber training and therefore knock out nine out of ten because People don't always listen. A lot of times they phone it in. They're not really watching. They've got another screen going on and they're filling out spreadsheets or something and then just checking next on the training or whatever. And and that that leaves you basically vulnerable. So it needs to be part of a layered approach. You know, hey, let's try to stop them all by not clicking. But if they do have something in place that stops that, it gets through that, have something in place that stops that and have as many layers as possible. Yeah, I agree, but I and I but I think that um, you know only doing it once a year is, is a really bad idea. Um, we're a big fan of weekly security trainings that people can digest small bits at a time, maybe five minute videos or whatever, and you know you're keeping it top of mind because you're getting it once a week. Um, two sides to that. You got to make sure that you're monitoring that and people are actually doing it and you're having conversations. It should be part of your policy with HR. HR should be handing out acceptable use policies. And part of that is that you're going to do the company provided training, uh, you know, to, you know, in order to maintain your compliance with that policy. Um, and that's where we see things go off the rails a lot. They, they, they fail to implement a policy and then they fail to give that policy out as part of an HR function. So there's repercussions if they don't do it. And then they fail to follow up on the training once it's sent. Yeah, you sent it out and it ended up in people's mailboxes or you invited people to a, a Zoom event. But who showed up? How are you tracking that? How do you know, you know, 50 percent or 70 percent or 100 percent of your company actually attended that training? Um, these are all things that you need to answer to because they're going to come up if you have a breach um, and you're going to have to prove that you have a way to know that people are doing this stuff. And then you're going to see people who are not doing as well in the quizzes or, or the or the training when they, you know, most training should have some kind of test or quiz to, to determine the aptitude or what people are actually learning from this. Um, and then the other side of it is, as Andre mentioned, some fake phishing campaigns going on on a regular basis. So you can see who employees are more likely to click on something or give up information and, and maybe get them a little bit more help than, than maybe some other people need in the organization. 
So these are all things you got to look at. But again, it's all things companies like like the three of ours uh, help you with all the time. And I would say that one last thing on this with training, it's not a one size fits all. Um, you got to do what's right for your organization based on your maturity and and how you really want to have cybersecurity as part of your culture. Um, once a week might be a little aggressive for some. So maybe it's once a month, right? But I wouldn't go much less than that. So, and then this goes on to state guys, uh, failure of basic security measures, which I would consider training a basic security measure at this point. Um, but on top of that, strong passwords, regularly updating software, using two-factor authentication, um, these are considered basic today. And these are all the same reasons that we see companies get breached every single week. Thoughts? Yeah, um, and you know, everything that it's now saying that you should do, um, just know it's not uh, something that the average person can do, the average technician can do. Um, obviously, investing in technologies can help protect your organization system yeah. data. That's, that's a given, firewalls, antivirus, but I would even say, you know, it's not just going to Best Buy or, or going online and buying a uh, firewall or asking your IT, hey, I want to piecemeal this. I want to put a firewall. I want to put an antivirus. Because when you do those type of piecemeals and, and not have like a bigger picture, then guess what? None of these products are talking to each other. So your firewall can be getting slammed and getting, you know, uh, getting a, an attack. But then it's not talking to the computers. It's not talking to your IT department or your IT person. So don't piecemeal this and just have that comprehensive plan and have a professional like us that can that can come in and um, keep you protected. Yeah, and I mean, good. Well, just uh, adding adding to that another another huge one, and I mention it all the time. The unsexiest of of all the things you can do, and that's patching and you know, it's so important to update, 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 update. And how many times do we hear on this show when we're going through a breach, something happened, last pass, unpatched media server at the house of one of the engineers, opened up the keys to the kingdom for this, for this company. When we see it over and over and over, unpatched, unpatched, they didn't update this, um, Rack space, unpatched servers. The people running the servers complain too much, didn't like all those updates. Well, sorry, guys, you got to do it. So anyway. No, all good points. All good points. Uh, you know, Equifax was another one that I can think of that was pointed out in this article that um, they failed to patch a known vulnerability in its system. Even though a patch had been around for months, I think patching – not patching systems outside of email is the next number one reason you're going to get, you're going to get, have an issue and have a really bad quarter because <laughs> it's just not going to be over in a day. Um, other interesting thing that Andre mentioned and touched on quickly that I want to kind of bring to everyone's attention as we wrap up here. Um, it's not just about the money here, folks. It's, you also got to think about, you know, if you're a company with one or two IT people, maybe maybe you outsource it all, um, and you really have to look at like those people who are who are providing that service to you or to your company, whether that's internal employees or a third party company, um, because it takes time to do this stuff. And I don't know about you guys, but I've been involved in quite a few incident responses where. I've heard from people, and actually I, I've heard from people too, uh, when we do risk assessments before there's an actual incident um, where we've uncovered something and we've told them. And I hear a lot from these IT, you know, especially IT directors. Oh, you know, we, we've been meaning to do that. You know, we've been, we've been meaning to get to that or we've been meaning to implement that. Um, and it's not a money thing. It's just, the time required to do it and to learn it and to understand it. And at, at some point, uh, I think leaders have to look at their situation and go, we're not moving quick enough. And we have to look outside the organization to get help with this. And, um, um, you know, I feel 
I feel like I need to say it not because I want to promote our companies or I think you should work with the three of us. I think you should just work with somebody and I don't care who that is. Um, stop trying to go about this alone. But when you see reports like this where companies are just not doing enough and these are the reasons why, um, working with a third party companies is, is starting to make more and more sense every single day. When you look at yeah, what you'd have to pay a company like ours versus what you're going to have to pay on the other side of boom. Um, the, the cost difference is, is probably a tenth or a third, um, depending on, on your organization. So I don't know if you guys have any closing thoughts. Though. Those were mine because, Andre, you, you, you briefly touched on the fact that, like, you know, these companies with, like, one person IT, you know, per people that, that run the whole IT group, um, a lot of times these companies are expecting these people to kind of do these things. And the reality of it is, is they don't have the bandwidth to do it all. So and they don't want to tell their board or boss that they don't because then no, they, they don't No, hundred no, percent. They don't, <laughs> they're not going to be forthright and forthcoming and be like, Hey, we can't get all this done. It's just going to be on the list of stuff that has to get done. Right. Right. But if that's number 20 on the list, you better hope you don't have a cyber attack before they get the number 20, which mm -hmm. in most cases, number 20 is probably two years away. Yeah. And that's what we're seeing with um, what Suffolk, I think it was County, Suffolk yeah. County, yeah. where um, they knew, they know, they know, but they just got other fires. I mean, I see it all the time. We run risk assessments all the time. And that's probably the number one answer that we get when we point things out when there's, you know, an IT person who's present or involved is that they just say, oh yeah, we've been meaning to get to that. And it's like, okay, well, <laughs> you know, the hackers aren't, aren't waiting for you to get to it. <laughs> so, all right, guys, thank you. 51 minutes in, I think that's long enough. And I uh, appreciate your inputs and we'll see everyone in the next episode next week. Take care. All right. All right, bye-bye.